What's up, everybody? Just a quick note before the podcast proper. There are two things I wanted to say. The first of which is this is a spoiler podcast. I should have stated this before I explained the entire plot of the host, but you're going to get a lot more out of this podcast if you watch the movies beforehand. Of course, you can do whatever you want, but um, that's really how this is designed. It's after you see the film, just to hear a couple of dudes talk about it, which is hopefully interesting. We will find out. Uh, the second one is that we are aware of the audio issues. Um, my treble is out of control. Jeff is sort of muted, and Alex um, completely dominates the bass. So we're getting on top of audio editing and getting better microphones so the first few episodes will be a little bit rough audio wise but just know that we are working on it and with that i hope you enjoy the podcast what's up everybody this is the uh first episode of the one more take podcast i'm jesse and with me is jeff and alex and for this first episode we are kind of doing something different to us which is an interesting way to start a podcast we're going to be talking about two films from director bong joon ho uh the host um from 2006 and parasite now jeff and alex have both seen these films before i have not so we'll probably have a bit of a different perspective um but yeah you guys want to introduce yourself well thank you and jeff well, happy to be here. Happy to be on this first episode of this podcast. Excited to get it started. Yeah, I'm just uh, excited to take a look at two movies that I actually don't have that much experience with as far as Korean cinema goes. So I think that's going to be an interesting conversation. All right. And uh, I guess I'll go, seeing as I'm last. Uh, you are last. I'm Alex. But not least, my friend. <laughs> and uh, I have had the fortune of seeing both films before they were suggested glad i got to revisit both both of them especially parasite um it'll be interesting too because i do think going off of what jeff just said that uh korean film is definitely starting to make itself known across the sea you know and uh it's about time we take notice so it's good to start with these two films i think yeah, so Jeff, do you want to tell the people about The Host? Love to. So, The Host. This was a this was an interesting watch for me. I actually hadn't seen The Host before. I thought I had, but when I watched it, I realized uh, a different Korean horror movie that I had seen. So, that was my oh, mistake. That's funny. That's because yeah. this was your recommendation. Exactly. Like That's why I kind of was like, oh yeah, we'll go with The Host. And then I realized I didn't see this, so... It was an interesting first watch for me, but uh, I have I have some I have some issues with it, but we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, the host uh, ma- uh, made in two thousand six, at least that's the date that I ha- could find. Director Bong Joon Ho, um, famous for Snowpiercer, Parasite, as we know, we'll be talking about later. Uh, starring Kang Ho Song, who uh, also is a kind of a frequent frequent actor. With Bong Joon Ho movies, um, he's also in Parasite. Um, some quick little factoids about the host: uh, it's, it was prior to 2014, it was the highest-grossing Korean film of all time. Uh, I thought that was pretty oh, interesting. Wow. Um, it's incredibly popular. It's so popular that uh, they actually have a statue of the monster. 
from from the movie uh, on the Han River. So it definitely made quite a cultural impact in Korea. Um, It's based on a true event, surprisingly enough, uh, at least the, the first scene. Not the fish monster, right? Not the fish monster, <laughs> but the, uh, the the pouring of formaldehyde into the Han River was uh, something that actually happened between a U.S. Army doctor, I believe it was, and his South Korean subordinate, who he was ordered to pour a massive amount of formaldehyde in the Han River, leading to kind of a big legal battle between South Korea and that particular U.S. representative and led to a lot of political strife between the citizens and the politicians of South Korea. And yeah, it's um, it's a movie that I felt like it's hard to give it the, the, the title of horror movie. Um, I kind of put it in the more of a vein of the traditional monster movie. Uh, things that the type of genre that we haven't seen in a long time in America, which I believe is still very much popular in South Korea. It's just like the just straightforward monster movie uh, with very little horror spin on it. Like Where I can think of similarities would be like to American movies, maybe like Jaws, uh, the older Godzilla movies. Stuff yeah, like, it's not scary. Yeah, it's not it's supposed not scary. to be scary. It's supposed to be um, kind of just like a fun ride, fun monster ride. But I, before kind of going into the, the deeper aspects of it, I think, Jesse, you had a little synopsis to launch us into that. Yes. So I have a whole a whole bevy of notes here. Um, let me first off say, like, it's weird when the the grand sort of reaction to a film is positive and then you don't end up liking it. Um, which is different than saying it's bad. I wouldn't call this a bad movie, but I had a lot of problems with it. Um, and I'll just like go right in. So the opening is, and you you talked about this, Jeff, a little bit, which provides some context that I didn't have. But it opens with two scientist men speaking like really unsubtle dialogue about pouring chemicals uh, formaldehyde into a river uh, for some reason because the bottles are dusty was that the did i miss something there yeah i kind of think it was supposed to be um like inside info about the event the actual true event like maybe i couldn't find any information about the actual event beyond just the overarching idea of it of what happened but i think that maybe this was a little bit of a the south koreans take on maybe the, the doctor in question was uh obsessive compulsive or very controlling that's kind of what i got from it but you know that is essentially why they were had to be poured out was because of the dustiness Continue. okay because dustiness so that's the only this only context <laughs> provided by the movie of why they're pouring formaldehyde down a sink which will end up in a river fine all right next scene we're introduced to our like relentlessly schlubby main character with with tremendously baggy pants um, <laughs> and his his dad and his daughter and they work at this like little riverside uh like snack shack sort of thing yeah and we're, we're straight into a monster movie 10 minutes later when this gigantic fish comes out of the, the 
the river and starts like munching people. Yeah, they do not and obey then... the uh, the wait thirty minutes and show the monster rule as we see a lot in American monster movies. They really just mm. show the monster immediately. There is no mm-hmm. yeah. time. Which I, I kind of appreciated. I was like, all right, that's that's the kind of movie we're going here. It's not scary, but it's fun. I was smiling at this point. Um, and so they have this action scene where the monster swallows our main character's uh, daughter. And there's like an action scene and he gets blood on him. And then the next scene we're in like a shelter, right? We're introduced to the rest of the family. Um where there's like this um fallout from the event right everyone's in like a shelter and this is where the tonal weirdness of the movie started because the family's like looking at the picture of the girl and all of them are rolling around on the floor in like this agony in front of her picture and i'm like is this serious is this a comedy Mm -hmm. and it was totally fucking with my brain um and, and then every single person around them whips, whips out cameras, like not phones, but like full on cameras with flash photography, like professional video cameras and starts filming, filming them writhing on the ground. And it felt like tonally like the naked gun or something. And at this point, I was <laughs> like, what is this movie? <laughs> so, as I said, the main character got monster blood on him during this opening opening action scene. And from that, the movie establishes that he might have some kind of deadly virus. So the family is forced to go into quarantine. They find out through a phone call from the daughter that the daughter is still alive somewhere. And so the family subsequently escape in a van with a soundtrack of wacky clown music. Um, And it turns out they hired some sort of service to help them escape who who also sell them guns and hazmat suits, I guess. Um, this plot element is is never seen again. Um, so after this, they, they fruitlessly hunt through the sewers to find the daughter, um, don't find her, and then end up in like, a, like an action scene with the monster on the riverside again. And now this is where the dad dies at the hands of the monster and the story then completely forgets about him for the rest of the film. He's never mentioned that, uh, like, his specter doesn't loom over the film in any meaningful way, to me, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so our main character, after this action scene, is is captured by military guys. And the others, the, the brother and the sister, go their separate ways in this in this, what is now a sort of splintered narrative. And the structure of the movie is now like these fragments. Feel free to interrupt me at any time, by the way. Oh yeah, I, uh, yeah, I got. I'm I'm kind of just uh, taking a few notes, and then we'll kind of go back over yeah, it because I have some. Sure. I have some contradictions to your point. I I, I love that because yeah. <laughs> you know you've seen it before. I like like I said to begin with. It's weird when you find so many problems with the movie that everyone loves. But anyway, so one of the threads now is the brother character who goes to meet some random guy that I don't think was ever mentioned earlier in the film. No. Uh, presumably a friend no. of his. Yeah, an old friend, I believe. Yeah, yeah and it's... university. The point of this is in order to give us some throwaway exposition about cell towers having a radius. Um, 
So it's it's that scene in the movie, you know, where the character looks on a computer and figures out where the girl is. And then he's betrayed. And a bunch of dudes are after him. But that's okay, because the script decides in this moment that he's an escape artist, which which is never set up. They, they He mentions, like the friend mentions, oh, guys, he's a slippery one. He's something of an escape artist. And you're like, what? Where did that come from? It does Except get very... It does get very Jason Bourne in that segment. <laughs> in that scene, he, yeah. he gets a very like Jason Bourne moment in that scene. I agree. Continue. Yeah, so he 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 runs away deftly and he jumps down off of a freeway. And the visual inference of this that I got is that he's broken one or more of his limbs. I legitimately thought he had died with with the way that they shot that. And later, he wakes up somewhere else apparently just fine. And because the final action scene of the movie is going to need more characters, a homeless guy for no reason at all tags along <laughs> and they start making Molotov cocktails. <laughs> like this, this homeless character is manifested so fucking lazily for the sole purpose of pouring gasoline on the monster a few minutes later. So that's one element of the splintered narrative. So meanwhile, the sister just kind of like wanders around, I guess, while our main character is subjected to what I consider the dumbest scene in the movie, which we'll get to. But basically, this whole series of events with the brother was for the sole purpose of finding out through this quick and lazy scene where the daughter is. Which is uh, fine, I guess, but that information never even pays off. They just end up fighting the monster on shore, not in the sewers. It had already left. And also for no apparent reason, ex except that the script told it where it had to fight our protagonists. It found no like logic of why it left at this exact moment. So throughout all this, we're cutting back every so often to the little girl down there in the sewers and a little boy who's with her. And you think, like, maybe they're trying to do something clever here, right? She uses a beer can to test if it's sleeping, uses the jackets of, of the corpses down there to make a rope, and tries to do something. But the monster catches her and the little boy and eats them. So uh, I'm glad we spent all that time on that. Um, but back to our main character. He's now in some sort of, like, trailer, some sort of medical trailer. And when the English-speaking doctor shows up to give him a lobotomy, I am, like, checked out of the movie. <laughs> uh, like, I was like, what is this nonsense? Definitely the worst scene in the movie is that scene, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's established by the doctor himself that there is no virus, which is the whole reason for, like, keeping him. But then they stick a drill into this character's head anyway, which, as far as I can tell, also served no narrative purpose nor did it have any impact whatsoever on his motor or mental functions. So I'm thinking, like, is the joke that he's stupid? Like, I don't get it. I no longer understand what's happening or why anything matters. So he escapes the medical trailer, which happens, of course, to be just a stone's throw away from where the monster battle is about to happen, and where the military are just hanging out barbecuing and hanging out sheep <laughs> to dry. <laughs> And nobody stops him so that the script can have him impale the monster with a street sign in five minutes. My point with all of this nonsense is 
like a splintered narrative can be fine. It can be great, but not if it's like completely pointless. I don't feel like I learned anything or gained anything during all of these segments that comprise the second half of the film. It just felt like filler. And I guess the daughter died because we see our main character with the little boy at the end, but not her. Mm -hmm. So like, what's the message here? Did our characters learn anything? What was the purpose of the little girl dying or the dad dying serve? Like, what was I supposed to get from this movie? I should also say one more thing. And I should have said it earlier. This is a spoiler podcast. You will <laughs> enjoy this much more if you watch the movies first. Oh, yes, definitely. My bad. <laughs> but you probably get that now. I'll timestamp so, yeah. it. <laughs> now, now tell me why I'm wrong. Okay, so I, first off, before I preface this, and, I, and so now that you've finished this, I just want to put in, like, Alex, feel free to also interject at any time. Oh, yeah, of course. I, I think I'm I taking notes wanted, as well. I just think I, I really wanted to give you the time to kind of get your idea across without interrupting. Um, so I apologize if I didn't, if we're going to go back and address a lot of the things that you've talked about. Um, so, yeah, I'd like, no, to, start, I'd like to start at the beginning. Um so before I'm going to preface this by saying that I didn't love this movie. I didn't hate it and I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't fall in love with any of the characters or the narrative. But I do think that, I think that you might have lost a few narrative threads by just not being so in tune with the, with the characters and kind of not care. I don't want, I, I hesitate to say not caring but it's just, you know what I mean? Like, I think that, because there are some a little little tie-ins to the plot that I that you didn't quite go over. And I, I think we should definitely address them. So, so first we want to talk about, um, is, all right, first of all, let's talk about the very first scene. The cameo by Scott Wilson, <laughs> which I thought was very weird that somebody of such a renowned actor level of him would be in this I mean, Bong Joon-ho at this point has kind of made a name for himself. He's a well-known director. But the fact that Scott Wilson decided to play this American formaldehyde dust-hating doctor is not <laughs> something that I would have expected. And I was actually quite pleasantly surprised because I really enjoy Scott Wilson in the roles that he has played. Um, I want to go thematically with it first is that, you know, there are heavy themes of U.S. influence on South Korean politics, which mm -hmm. I believe is something that we definitely can't um, gloss over, is about how the U.S. has kind of trampled over South Korea's ability to handle the situation and thus releasing essentially a, a, a bioweapon to beat a bioweapon. But we'll get into that a little later. Um, so but I definitely want to keep that in mind. It's like the the U.S. is portrayed as kind of a subsequent villain in this film, uh, somebody who's lying and manipulating to then create and foster a sense of fear in South Korea of this virus. And I apologize if this is getting uh, too topical. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but I but like so let's go. So the opening scene we have Scott Wilson. I agree it was a little bit um, segmented from the main plot. It was very like separate. It felt tonally very different. Like I, I was feeling the tone of that first scene very strongly. I was like, okay, we have this idea. I thought that the 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 subordinate, the South Korean subordinate to this doctor, was going to be the main character. 
And when he was just turned out to be a secondary character or not even a tertiary character, he's just a one-off. I was like, oh, okay, that's strange. So we get into the... Um... It, was just a, it was just a very weird way to like have your monster be birthed. Sure. You know, it's like a scientist thinks the bottles of formaldehyde are dusty. Like sure. you get better monster logic from like Zat. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, yes, formaldehyde is not going to cause genetic mutations in the local wildlife that would then, within months, create a being such as the monster in this movie. But again, I'm jumping ahead. I wanted to get into just the... Uh, the initial character introductions. So we are given the main character, that's Kang Ho Song. Um, he is the father of uh, Huan Xiao, who is the uh, the daughter, the the daughter character that gets taken. Now, there are some aspects of him that are obviously like yes, I agree, schlubby. Um, I think something you have to highlight is the fact that his hair is dyed blonde. Which is a another take on Western influence. Um, usually, when South Korean people would dye their hair like that, it's kind of influenced from something else. Or, I kind of felt like he was holding on to a part of his youth that he had lost, which is which is a big part of the film. Which I is feel. a big part of the film is this idea of lost youth and and um, states of arrested development within someone's mental cycle which he is stuck in. He's, he more relates to his daughter as a, a peer than as a father. And that is, yeah, I thought they were brother and sister. And, and it first. goes into that pretty clearly when later in the movie, when they are holed up in the snack, uh, snack shack and the father, you know, he's sleeping and the father has this huge exposition dump, uh, probably the largest exposition dump of the movie, I would think about how he has had his his youth taken from him because he is the oldest of the of the three siblings and he his mother walked out on them he uh, had a daughter very young and which then her mother left which they make a point of that they say you know do you do, do you think she knows that Huang Xiao is dead and they say oh no like how could she she walked out when she was young so there are little nuggets and sand pellets of of expository and the explanation dialogue but it's not clearly stated enough to be in any way impactful or significant towards the greater narrative which i do agree with you on that jesse is if you're going to tell us something tell it don't just say it in an offhanded comment and expect it to actually carry over when there's so much going on but we do suffer from uh and i don't want to bring up another movie that we're not talking about but like the wailing where we have like the schlubby character that's kind of unlikable um mm -hmm. we have themes of he uh, saving up money for his daughter's cell phone via coins, which is something a child would do, or like a teenage friend. The yeah, dyed, that's a good point. The dyed hair, the giving his daughter a beer as an underage, you know, it's not a very fatherly thing to do, at least by our standards. It's more of something like a, a brother would do, or a friend. Like, here, drink this beer with me. They introduce the sister uh, character. The uh, Her name is Park Hae Il, and no, sorry, her name is Baduna. Yes, mm -hmm. Baduna. Excuse me. We don't we don't speak Korean, by the way, people. So forgive us. Yeah, I think that's going to be the best at the pronunciations <laughs> yeah, here. Excuse me if I if I butcher these people's names. I'm trying my best to really uh, highlight the actors. 
involved. Uh, but yes, Baduna's character, Park Namju, she is a, I want to say an Olympic archer. I, it didn't quite state if this was like a South Korean only event or it was an Olympic event. Judging by how rapidly she was able to come back, I assume it was more of like a South Korean archery event. But anyway, the daughter, uh, the sister is an archer, a world-class professional archer, which when you see in the beginning of the movie when she fails, they call her too slow. She hesitates on her target and loses the competition and takes home the bronze medal. It's this idea of that this family has all has their own personal drawbacks they all are good people who have failed in some way because of a personality flaw. You have the oldest son, uh, Kang Ho Song's character, who is, you know, a uh, state of arrested development, a regressed state of uh, personality. You have Baduna's, uh, sorry, Ko Song's, yes, Baduna's character, excuse me again, I'm really trying to get this, um, who is uh, hesitating and too slow. You have, then you have Park Hae Il, that is the, the, um, the brother, the, the middle brother, and he is a university graduate, never went anywhere in life. And in South Korea, I, I think there's some context needed that to go to, uni it's not something that everybody does, is go to university. It's a very expensive thing to do and costs a lot for a family. So what we're doing is, I'm giving a long-winded explanation of the fact that we're setting up a very mediocre family as the main characters. This is a right. monster movie that has no Arnold Schwarzenegger. It has no, uh, you know, smart, heroic, tough, badass as the protagonist. It has a very mediocre family who's just sad and grieving over the, another lost loved one. So I think that which that... is which is the best part of the movie is like their dynamic with each other. Agree. Yeah. Agreed. I will say, going back to something that Jesse said and what you just said, Jeff, um, I feel like that's where the that kind of hospital escape kind of kind of breaks down. Doesn't really fit in with the composite of the characters that the film is building from the from the get go. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. There's a this movie is a tonal mess. It is. I, I think definitely. we can all agree on that. I think that no matter. I, I I don't think I don't see a way that you couldn't agree on that. It is tonally very off. The score is very strange in the movie. Yes. It 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 has a very interesting use of like what Jesse said, like very like circusy clown car music and scenes that it kind of takes the wind out of the sails. I like I would agree with the scene where they're escaping the hospital by these criminals that I how do they know them? And of course, I'd like to caveat all of this conversation with the fact that we don't know South Korean culture very well, if at all. I mean, I just do my, re I try to do a little research that I can. So if you are South Korean or if there's something that you know more about this, then it probably makes more sense. But from us and our perspective, it's just, we're just taking it as three Americans. Well, yeah. see, that's, that's, that's an element I wanted to touch upon that I was thinking about. And we didn't record our conversation about The Wailing, which is a, a phenomenal South Korean horror film. Um, but that also had like some weird tonal things going on. <clears throat> and we had a conversation about that where like we're very much used to our Western storytelling. And so it's like it's hard to say if there's something that's lost in translation Especially like when you have a whole cinematic canon that you're not very familiar with. Yeah. Um, 
whole literary like, canon. Yeah, like it's very well for me to like compare this to, you know, like what I expect from movies. But yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's a tonal mess, but it uh, it, it was frustrating. I, like I didn't really know what it was trying to do well, a lot and, of the time. And to touch on that, I really think it was frustrating because like a lot of South Korean film that I've seen, it has great actors play their roles well, whether they're victim to poor screenplay or, you know, odd direction or whatever it may be. The actors did their jobs. Each actor is believable, um, carries the character that they're supposed to be playing well. I I really liked all the actors in the movie. Um, and, and typical standing one when I see South Korean movies, child actors tend to be the strongest oh yeah uh, i've seen that in, in the whaling parasite all the, the the younger actors very much carry a big bulk of the movie on their shoulders and what i mean tonal mess is it's a, it's frustrating because there are some really really to me very well done and heart-wrenching scenes the funeral scene that you so aptly um thought was all over the place which i agree I think was a really great scene because it was so hard, it was so heart wrenching. Like I mean, these people were genu almost genuinely grieving over this lost loved one in in these fits of sadness and rage and um, uh, this non unification of the family structure, which I thought was interesting. Like there. It, it, family structure is very dissolved and it's kind of clearly showing that in this scene that like these people don't respect each other like the father works very hard to put the son through college and keep everyone fed and, and employs the eldest son and and nobody seems to be very appreciative of him uh the the daughter seems to be like the the highlight of the group sorry excuse me the sister not to i don't want to say daughter and then confuse it with the main character's daughter um so you know, she's this Olympic athlete, and they all really like her, and she says she's very respected in the family. And then you have the alcoholic, you know, college, not dropout necessarily, but college failure. And so you have this this fractured family unit, and they're writhing on the ground in agony of this lost child. And and I do believe that, the at least from my interpretation, that the, the cameras were not people, that they were more um, media that was capitalizing on grief, which I think was supposed to be kind of the point of that scene. Was that oh, maybe that the, these media personalities are ignoring this very to grieve openly like that is a very vulnerable thing to do, and these media personalities are snapping pictures and videos of this very vulnerable type of grief. And I think Alex, you touched, you were going to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean it's very. It's very visceral, um, yeah. and um, it's. I will say so. There's something going on here with the discussion that you guys are having with this idea of arrested development, and you know this this idea of falling from grace. Um, and I always wonder when I watch this movie, and he's in that snack bar, right? such juvenile things to to be around all day if we're getting down to the very materialistic granular things right like i mean i, I remember walking into 7-eleven before it was alcohol and cigarettes and it was candy 
chips, things like that, you know? So it seems like he he moves around in this very juvenile, like, space already. And then, of course, with the bleached hair and the things like that, he's, like, holding on to this, this, uh, this image of himself from a long time ago. And I think we actually see that a lot with the brother. Um, I think that's Park Nam-il. Uh, yes. he's, he, cause he was also like this political activist, right? Yes. I want to touch and, on and, that. Yeah. And then we see the sister as a national medalist archer type person, which talking about parasite later on, there's a huge connection there that I would want to talk about with sports and medals. Um, but when the monster comes, it brings all of these people, it like wrenches all of these people out of this this like state that they're in almost it like re rekindles some of this political fire in the brother. It actually forces the, uh, park gang gang do the main character to be a father, you know? And then with the sister, I mean, she tries to use, like she tries to be an archer, right? Which I think also South Korean archery is big yeah. in the Olympics and, and, and such. So it's interesting because whenever I watch this guy's movies, um, I, I don't know if it's like, if it's a very heavy, heavy handed allegory, like an allegorical tale about like, this is what the media does, but it's not even symbolic, right? It's not like a symbolic image of what the media does. It's like a literal image of this is what the media does when there's chaos. Um, so I think that what you guys are talking about is true, but I also, I always, what my point is, I always wonder is if the filmmaker is doing this on purpose to like kind of yank us into this weird space, into this weird corner, which then forces us to break down the movie in a different way. So if it's intentional, I think it's genius, right? And I think it's not a masterpiece, but I think it's a very subtle move. But I will agree with this idea that you know, you guys have heard the the Chekhov's gun thing, right? Mm -hmm. It seems like we are in an armory full of weapons that never fire in this entire movie. <laughs> yes, that's a cool way to that's, put yeah, it. That's a really good way to put it. What yeah. did What did you think of the movie overall, Alex? Because I I know you said you've watched it multiple times. Mm -hmm. So it was like my first exposure to what I guess you would call Asian uh, monster films, right? And I went in with it with that real a real heavy like expectation of okay we're gonna see the a piece of flesh here a glimpse of an eyeball here you know things like that um and i really wasn't ready for the just over just like in your face start from the get-go type thing but i i enjoyed it immensely the first time but i was a lot younger when it i, I, I saw it right around when it came out um at like an old college independent movie theater and then watching it the second time and hearing you guys talk, I do think that tonal mess is a good, good description so far. Uh, if we can't find a better one, it almost seems like their artistic urges or Bong Jun is like playing this kind of auteur's game where he's trying to put all of these messages in and it creates this weird like bulging mass yes. almost that never really manifests into anything so i would say i think it's very entertaining i can't knock it for like not being an entertaining movie to watch but 
<laughs> Thinking about that uh, lobotomy scene, that will definitely set the movie off the rails a little bit. Sure. Well, see, that's that's the thing, right? Is like I, I did note some weird tonal like moments where my brain didn't know what to do with the information, but that's not really what like made me not like the movie. It was more and and to your point about like i don't know like little motifs and like pointing at things um culturally or politically or whatever that's cool too uh, that's great i love it when movies just point at things i don't i don't know exactly what it was doing but mm -hmm. uh, mainly it was it was structural my problem with it was structural wherein the second half of the movie didn't feel like things were leading to things it just felt like scenes yeah. Agreed. Okay. Yeah I, yeah, I I agree, and I think to speak on Alex's point, there is an aspect of of having to kind of look at each family member in a vacuum and and kind of see their character progression. But it does feel overinflated. It does feel jam packed. But I think when you when you say things like oh, "was this intentional?" I think it was because if we look at Bong Joon's filmography and we look at the things he's made. Not just Parasite, but Snowpiercer. I mean, mm -hmm. he's, it, it, he's, I mean, he's definitely has that type of directorial eye, where he's trying to make a, a point. And he really uh, likes his social commentary. He yeah. also really likes oh, his yeah. characters. He's a very character-driven director. I mean, like, I mean, we'll talk about the Parasite. Parasite's a very character-driven movie. There's very little actually goes on in the overworld of the movie. And in the host, it's almost the same. Like the, while you you do have a lot of doctors and military personnel, they're all portrayed as kind of un unsupportive. Morons. Yeah, not very intelligent, um, unshaven, kind of just like kind of grubby looking. Like there's this very this strong tone of that nobody knows what they're doing. And I kind of think that that is a point that he was trying to make is. Who actually knows what they're doing, and and I think that's kind of what he was trying to get across. But and and not to bring it back to the beginning again, but I think we are just glossing over a few things. Like, you know, we get we we get this schlubby character. You know, he eats one of the squid's legs. Again, this is a cultural thing. Like the dad says, like it having ten legs is very important to the people eating. Like this was lost on me. I was like, okay, well. Yeah, in, in my customers food yeah in, exactly in my mind that's where my american brain goes it's, oh he ate some of the customers food that's not okay but there's mm. a, they try to go a little more into that so i always try to remember these things because i want to give the movie the benefit of the doubt that there's something going on that i don't understand but we get to the scene where the monster first comes out and you have the very brave looking united states army Dude, which at the time you don't know is an army dude. It's just an English-speaking guy who is eager to, to help people. So, you know, he, he rushes away from his girlfriend towards that trailer that was full of people. And it's actually the... What I thought was interesting, when the monster first came out, it didn't outright kill anybody right away. That was It, it took about three to four minutes of this action scene before you actually see a drop of blood, which I thought was very interesting as far as tonal setting, because it was almost like this monster didn't have an, a desire to kill, and it just had a desire to cause havoc. But then, you know, you get the scene with the trailer, they're all jammed up in there, there's like blood running down the front, and you're like, okay, here it is. Here's the, the monster aspect of it. But so the main character, you know, he goes into this, jumps into the fray, 
which is a very it's an act that's very unlike him and he helps this united states soldier out to break open the door and help the people get out and then help him fight the monster which eventually leads to the guy getting eaten and but and there's a little um callback in the end of the movie because in the beginning of the movie they fight the monster with a signpost that was pulling out of the ground and then in the end of the movie uh gangdo kills the monster with a signpost that he pulled out of the ground and smashed the cinder block on so i definitely think there's like trying to do little callbacks yeah and the archery thing she she's not slow at the draw at the end so i guess that's a little character arc for her yeah they little tried nice Shyamalan thing in there yeah and i think that the <laughs> like the the scene and i know i'm jumping forward but the scene that you mentioned in the um telecom building when he becomes jason Bourne, mm-hmm. i think that was supposed to be him like discovering his activist self because they say in the elevator that the guy that his college friend was also an activist he says something along the lines of like how do you find time like or like far stretch from you being an activist in high in college so Mm. they were all and then when he's running away and he looks through the window at the guy who's hunched down he gives him like a like a fight the power fist you know, even though he turned him in, which was kind mm-hmm. of odd to me. Um, but, you know, the movie also telegraphs um, plot points very strongly, mm-hmm. which is not, it's to its detriment. Yeah, because, definitely. Because, like, they, they're they riding the elevator up, and he goes, oh, what kind of job, and talking about your salary is very common in South Korea. And so, like, you know, what he says, oh, what's the type of job make? 60, 70K a year. And the guy goes, well, I have 60, 70K in credit card debt. Which to me was like, okay, this guy's going to betray him right away. Because now they've just established motive for the character to betray him. And nothing, at least in my opinion, not many things in movies are unintentional. Unless it's an outright bad movie with a bad director. But mm. Bong Joon is not a bad director. So he's going to make things make sense. And prior to that, Jesse, I just want to say, like, you are right that the father is relatively forgotten. But they do try to bring him back a little bit when they, um, right before he gets, meets up with the old friend, he's at the, um, he's in front of the dry cleaner and he sees the wanted poster and he sees like his father and his brother's picture and one says deceased and one says captured and he kind of has like a emotional moment in there. There is that, yes. So I I think that. that they were trying to tie it in, but again, I think where Alex's point comes in is that at that point in the movie, the movie's already overinflated. And so <laughs> things are easily forgotten and dismissed, which I think is... Yeah, a, but yeah. The, the interesting part to me about all these points you're making about <clears throat> these little things character-wise the movie's doing is I can completely see your argument for it, but none of that translated for me in the movie. I was going to ask a quick question. That relates to what you just said, Jesse. Thinking of this director, when I'm watching the host again, I think of Snowpiercer. I think of Parasite. And that's why I use that word auteur, right? When you watch a Tarantino film, you can think of every film he's ever made before Mm -hmm. and think, okay, I'm feeling some of the same feelings right now as a film, as a film goer and as a movie watcher, as a fan, you, you, you're like, I've felt this before. I've tasted this before. So I was wondering, do you think do you think it's good to do that for this film, the host specifically, and for this director specifically? 
or thinking not. about him in like a Tarantino sense where it's like exactly. you almost can't encapsulate him within any other kind of genre. It's almost just like a Tarantino film is not a drama. It's a Tarantino film. Yeah, well, could we uh, it's interesting? Could we figure out some of the logic in this film using logic that he's used in another film? You know what I'm I don't, saying? I don't know. I don't know. So like, like I've I've only seen Parasite and uh I saw Snowpiercer a long time ago which I enjoyed, but I couldn't really point to like any trademarks in there. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Jeff? Uh, it's it's hard to say. I kind of see what you're saying, Alex. I think it's less, I, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying when it comes to Tarantino, like uh, like for not to do too much of a non sequitur, but like in Sin City where it's Robert Rodriguez, but you know those scenes that Tarantino directed because someone gets shot and flies 50 feet in the air. Like, you're like <laughs> yep, that was Tarantino right there. <laughs> like that, I definitely see what you're saying, but I, I, to, to piggyback on what you're saying, but to shift it a little bit is, I think it's more of, instead of viewing it as like, this is Bong Joon's style and viewing it like that, I think it's totally fair to compare, by the way, like Parasite and all that kind of stuff. I kind of think we should wait until we talk about Parasite because then mm -hmm. both of them kind of fit together. But I agree, like I've only ever seen of his movies Snowpiercer and Parasite besides this one. I'm looking at his IMDb right now and I have not seen any of these other movies of his. I but believe that's the same for me, yeah. But I do believe that The Host was his first major motion picture in which he was also the co-writer on and the director. And he was also the screenplay and the director of Parasite and I mean, Snowpiercer. So he's very much one of those all-in-one directors. He's very yeah. much the high level of creative control. So that is why I think it's fair to talk about it in that context. Definitely. But but I don't know, like stylistically, like I would not if I didn't know, I would not have thought that this was from the same director as Snowpiercer or definitely not Parasite. Oh, really? See, yeah, I, I, I can't... Snowpiercer, I 100 percent agree with you. But these two films, well, are Snowpiercer just... is also an American film in a sense. Yeah. And so oh, it's, it's... It stars, you know, Chris Evans. And... Yeah, it, it's a. <laughs> It's so it's definitely Quentin, yeah. harder, but I definitely see parallels in Parasite for sure. But we, like, what I was trying to say is this is one of his first major motion pictures beyond just like short stories and writing credits. This is his first kind of all encapsulated creative control project. It was made in 2006, so that was 14 years ago, 15 years ago at this point, mm -hmm. and so that's also another kind of way that we have to look at it is in the context of the era of movies it came out in. And I think it really fits in that era of the 2006 monster movies that were really popular at that time. In the West, you're saying? Yeah. In the West, especially. Got it. And, so, okay. and, and, and also Korean monster movies are in their own category. You know, they're not something like we, we tend to blend monster movies and horror movies together. Whereas then I think in Korea, they very much separate those two genres, which I think is what lended to this movie being tonally different than what we expected, because it's not a horror. It's not, a, I, I can't call it a horror movie at all. It's a, it's a monster movie. And in that, you're going to have a little bit of humor. You're going to have a little bit of strange character motivations, because like you're kind of surrounding these real characters around a very fictional situation so i think that there's definitely a grain of salt to take it with there now like i said i'm not defending that i'm just wanting to bring up the point that there are parts of the movie that i 
feel are lost on me as a Western viewer that yeah. would make total sense if you were from South Korea. And this is a movie, a Korean movie. Yeah. And so that definitely attributes to the way that Europe and we are absorbing it as a group. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of yeah, contextual things that if I were more in tune with uh, the culture, then possibly would make much more sense. I will say, I do love the human relations from yeah. this director. Like the, you know, what Jesse was saying earlier, the, the dynamic between the family members, certain family members, is very interesting. It feels very real and authentic a lot of the times. Um, and unfortunately, when I watched this movie the second time, it almost seems like the monster aspect and the virus and the it not being real. And, you know, I, I just didn't even pay attention to any of it at one point. You know, it's like to go into a different movie just real quick. When I watch Interstellar, I watch it as like a father and daughter just drama story if that makes sense. Just yeah. because that's what I'm that's what it what I'm drawn to because I feel like that's what the director did the best and what he's actually very good at. Um yeah, you know, another really quick thing. You guys will find out pretty quickly that uh Roland Emmerich is a patron saint of Jesse. Yeah, it's my favorite films. filmmaker, of course. And, I love uh, Independence Day. The, the CGI for this film was done by a company called The Orphanage, which also did the visual effects for uh, The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, another another glorious masterpiece. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. For anyone listening, that's all sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, Roland Emmerich is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm sorry if that touches a nerve of some people um, who like Independence Day. I also <laughs> am in the camp of Independence Day being a fucking sloppy joe that has fallen <laughs> on the cafeteria floor um, i love it yeah i don't know I it's it. weird it's weird like because i know that i'm being a nitpicky asshole about this movie and it's hard to say exactly why because sometimes i watch movies and like i completely forgive plotting you know and it, it's mm. it's hard to say exactly why that is but like i like a lot of movies that would probably qualify as like a mess of like scenes but yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought about it enough to sort of explicate that better at this moment. But um, I yeah, think... I don't know. Some sometimes the logic like really bothers me, and sometimes it doesn't. For this one, it it did. I think it's okay. Our exposure to so far of Korean film, sorry to interrupt, Alex, is just that it's no, no, a level you're good. Of uh, we've seen such a high level of filmmaking so far in our very short exposure to this uh, cultural genre and cultural filmmaking style. And it's all kind of been hitters, you know, the whaling yeah. hitter, parasite hitter, um, train to Busan, train to Busan hitter. hitter. Yep. It's like, it's like, so it's, it's kind of almost disappointing to see a Korean, especially one that's so high. I mean, this movie has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. People fucking love this movie. People oh love yes, this movie, and so yeah, I, I critics I, critics love this movie. Yeah, it's a very widely regarded movie. That's why I chose it because I was like, okay, well, I want to talk about two great Korean films in the first episode, and I kind of did a little re homework, and I was like, oh wow, this this toast, top grossing, just a huge, widely popular. They, it's a cultural phenomenon in in South Korea, so definitely let's talk about it and i think it's a little disappointing 
to for it to be as messy as it is but i think that that's kind of talking back to my point of this is a amusement park ride and i know i know i use this metaphor a lot of a movie it's entertaining and hard stop there with and anything more than that is just icing on the cake like i'm like the funeral scene um i had a two more scenes i wanted to mention uh real quick that i thought were really really great um you have the funeral scene you have the scene with uh juan seo's ghost when they are in the snack shack eating together and her mm-hmm. ghost appears and they start feeding her i can't Dude, okay did i see a different cut of the movie because i read that i read some notes and i was like ghost what the hell and then i went back and looked at the scene again and i still didn't see it so it's a very small scene it's right when they first get to the back to the snack shack after escaping and they're all sitting around the table and there is a they're just eating like kind of pigging out on junk food and Juan Seo kind of appears in her school outfit she kind of just fades in out of the darkness she doesn't appear like a ghost she looks like herself and she does not materialize like a ghost she more just kind of comes in from the from the background and fades from the darkness into the main character's table and they all kind of start feeding her so i it's hard to put my finger on exactly why that scene was so good but it was almost like 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 this like this girl was the linchpin that was holding this family together she was the future she was smart funny and and she was the reason they all stayed together as a family and she's the reason they all fight together as a family and so when she appears in this scene she it's immediately like this this almost uninterrupted flow to start taking care of her i'm pulling this up i'm watching this scene again right now to see if i can see this because i watched it twice and i didn't see it yeah it's so there's there's that and i'll 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 give a, a you know i'll keep talking for the sake of not having dead air but it's it's a just a an impactful scene no dialogue and it's right before the big exposition dump by the dad about the main characters, you know, Arrested Development, his inability to move forward in his life. So I kind of feel like it also kind of plays into that scene a little bit of this central figure. And I don't know, Alex, if you have something different while Jesse's um, looking that up. No, I, that, I think that fits in perfectly with this idea, this juvenile thing that I'm going with and this idea that, you know, the monster brings it out in them. But in everyday life, the daughter is she is the hope she is the light she's the potential all of that potential energy that they once had you know is all now stored into her she wasn't in it it's not in it's not in here so but you is it i I mean i don't know like that was a that was a good scene it was uh quick and it had a a a nice impact and i'm I'm sorry you didn't see it because it it definitely was one of the better scenes and that feels like it would have added something to the end of the film, indeed. Um, and then the last scene that I, I just want to quickly point out is the the sewer scene. Now, there's a, many sewer scenes with Hong Seo, and, the, and especially when the young boy gets added to the mix, which was a little ham-fisted, I will admit, um, kind of introducing his character. Also, um, shit, I don't have it written down, but Alex, if you could, if you know the name of that Korean philosophy of like taking what you can to survive. They also that's mentioned a couple times, and I did not write that down. Oh, I, I do not know that. Yeah, there was. I the, do not. 
the 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 young boy when he's first introduced with his older brother they rob the snack shack and they and the little boy wants to take money and he says don't take money that's theft and he's like well we're stealing all their food and he's like it's called like serio or something and i'm i'm so apologized to any person listening maybe korean and like, yeah, we're, we're from I'm, California. I'm just destroying <laughs> a, a very known concept, but I, I, I and I want to look it up. Um, but it's this idea of that if you are stealing to survive, it's not stealing. And ah. and so the, that's that theme is brought up with the young boy when he's first introduced and his and his older brother. Um, and then it's brought up again when the father does the exposition dump because he says that when when um, Oh shit! I'm so sorry. When Gang Doos was growing up, they were really, really poor. They had nothing, no food. They were starving. And he says like the lack of protein in his diet was why he kind of wasn't able to develop like everyone else. Like they were already kind of he had already made money in his snack shack by the time his other two children were born to feed them proper food. Whereas when Gang Do was growing up, all he ate was snacks. Exactly. Junk food. So he's stuck in this juvenile state because of this very reason. That that exposition dump, that whole scene with the family back in the snack shack is probably the most important scene in the movie as far as structural character development. But uh, and I got a little off on a tangent there. The scene I wanted to mention was when the monster comes in and vomits all the bones into the bottom of the sewer, which as far as just a monster movie, that's just like fun. Like that's just yeah. like a fun thing. It kind of adds a little creepiness to the monster he just like pukes up like i mean it looked like at least like 10 people's worth of skeletons and so that was pretty cool but um that whole kind of ending segment where she's trying to get out she makes the the tie out of the shirts and puts it around the police baton and then she gets caught by not the monster actively but almost like the monster passively in its sleep uh, catches her because the tail grabs her and lowers her down, but the monster still sleeps. I don't know if, if there's any significance to that. I doubt it, but I just thought it was kind of a cool, cool detail about the monster and a little bit about like how she's crafty and smart and she's like trying, she yeah. never gives up and stuff like that. Kind of reinforcing her as really the hero. And really, at the end of this movie, she's the hero. She saves the young boy. She oh, redeems yes. her father. I mean, if you notice at the end, the father gets rid of his blonde hair he's he is mature the father into a he's the father. father you know yes. exactly you know he's feeding thrust the, upon the him by life yep and, and uh i and and he he gets a really great redemption which i really liked at the end yeah if you're going into this movie watching it as a monster movie right you're you're like going in for that experience you will have fun I, I yeah i think you guys approached that. it the better way as in like like not trying to dissect it um in I mean, the in the nitty gritty asshole way that i did <laughs> no i don't think I mean, it's a, yeah go ahead Alex. but when talking about his next movie which with all of the acclaim you know with with parasite coming up the way that we're comparing the two it's like it's almost impossible to not look at that movie and then look back at this film you know which i'm glad we're talking about this one first and and really treat it like the same you know because he didn't just make a monster movie and try and be like, you know, this is my this is my take on the monster genre. He definitely was trying to do a, a lot of things and almost a little too much. Yeah, this uh, wasn't Bong Joon Ho's like Sharknado. 
Yeah, you know, he wasn't yeah, trying to exactly. just cash in on the sci-fi monster movie. He was trying to say something, and whether no, there's yeah, there's craft here, there's ideas yeah. here, there's really good scenes, good good character moments. It's not a bad movie by by any stretch. It just has some structural problems for me. It has some structural yeah. problems. Period. Like I'm not in any way denying your points, and also I I don't think that you're being an asshole for being <laughs> no, picky, I, for being picky. I don't think so either. Okay, yeah, because there are just, that's, yeah, yeah. I think that's good. I think that's a good dynamic to have when you're trying to view a movie from three different lenses. It's like you need to be able to look at it in super critically, then kind of take a step back and look at it from a from a, a wider point of view as Bong Joon's first motion major motion picture and at least not his first major motion but his first creative control picture and i think that that's all really important to kind of figuring out what exactly is going on because i will agree post the scene with the english-speaking doctor the movie <laughs> does fall apart <laughs> it does i mean i and i just don't i just can't i mean when he bursts out of the trailer and the fucking army's having a barbecue yeah, they're like cooking wieners and hanging up shit. Yeah. You're like, what? It's like very like jarring. Yeah. Like, what's going on here? And then like the whole, like the protest kind of just happens. Like they kind of touch on it a bit when they introduce this Agent Yellow, which I mean, was really obviously like a take on Agent Orange and like America's like chemical infection. Involvement of, with yeah. Asia. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So there was that and. You know, America was definitely a tertiary antagonist to this movie, for sure. So, you know, and then you see this, like, kind of, like, bean, this, like, floating clitoris up in the sky that's, like, spewing uh, yellow mm. smoke. And uh, at least that's what it looked like to my juvenile You're getting mind. me all excited here, Jeff. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the protest against it happens very quickly, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, okay, this is, like, really a hot-button issue for for everyone which makes sense like it would be i mean they're releasing like a biological oh, yeah. agent in in public which makes a lot of sense but the final fight scene which i think would be a good i mean unless we want to kind of go over anything else i think the final fight scene kind of takes has its own kind of section in this conversation because <laughs> yeah. it is definitely fucking wild it is it, it the the movie definitely decides that in in that moment that it's going to get really, really crazy, whether you like it or not. And uh, regardless of everything that's happened before, anything that's been measured out before, that scene is, I, I, I could imagine it being almost an entirely different crew and cast and like yes. just a whole different group of people just comes in. They're like, we're going to shoot this one scene now. Um, but walking back just a few moments to... Um, to something that Jesse said at the beginning of this conversation about how it feels like the scenes are just playing out. There's this feeling that after, when you get to that scene with the, the English-speaking doctor, it seems like everyone stopped for the day for filming, right? And they were like, well, we know we didn't film the end. Like, we know we're not done. But what else do we do? Yeah. And then from that point on, it was just filler. It was just like... Okay, we're gonna get to the end. We're gonna we're gonna do this. We need to chase this. Yeah, it was... we need to not chase this. Um, it. I I don't know. So like, I think it's very fair, Jesse's reaction to the film. I mean, I I could sum it up in one sentence. They invented a homeless man out of nowhere to come fight the monster for them. 
Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is that. I think the movie suffers from some editing issues. Um, I think that you could have swapped some scenes around and really created a little more cohesive of a narrative. Like, I think they escaped the hospital too early. Once they once they escaped the hospital and had the guns and were hunting down the the monster, I literally paused. Are those guys criminals or yeah, gangsters I, or yeah, of some kind? Sorry. Yeah, I think they. Yes, I think they were supposed to be like smugglers or in some because they you know they they were very like chasty and they they robbed the the dad of his like whole life savings and everything like that and you know they were very penny pinching and. So I definitely think that they, yeah, they were like criminals hired. Again, no context, totally. Yes. Yeah. No, but they're think... they're 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 much like the homeless guy. They're they're put there to achieve like a narrative device, right? To yeah. to get people from one place to another to achieve something, without an underlying like logic or signposting about it. Yeah. Well, you could have, and that's what I'm trying to say is like you could have easily fixed a lot of these issues. Because when when they escaped and they had the guns, I paused the movie to look at the timestamp, because I was like, "Am I almost done with this movie?" Because it's it like was, ten minutes in, and it was no, it was it was about thirty five forty minutes into the movie that they escape and they're on the hunt for the monster, and I'm like, "Is this is this movie like a, like a straight like suburban Sasquatch like eighty minute movie? Like I don't understand why they've are they're already out of the hospital. I think they could have." gained a lot from staying in the hospital getting more information about the reaction to this so-called virus or people that they've been quarantining then you have the scene with the english-speaking doctor where he reveals oh it's all not true and then since you've been in the hospital this whole time with the character maybe the family could have escaped but the main character instead of getting recaptured he could have just stayed the whole time because you get this a little bit of focus, yeah, a little because, bit of focus. Yeah, movies because, trying to do a lot of things, focusing exactly. on some then, of them would have been to its benefit. Yeah, well, then that scene with the English speaking doctor revealing the kind of which I kind of interpreted as a very a twist that fell very flat was it could have been more impactful because okay, he's been in the hospital this whole fucking movie and he's been subjected right. to. We could show scene yeah. after scene of him being subjected to testing and and invasive and they, they did one of those to be fair they did like a, a a tissue sampling while he was still conscious and that was like extremely painful and like more of those scenes like subjecting him to like this near torture and then you have the scientists come in and reveal <laughs> and it's like oh shit it's like this big conspiracy or like they're trying lobotomy time yeah and then yeah. he gets the lobotomy and like and i think that alex is is correct that they were trying to say not that he's stupid too stupid for a lobotomy but more i'm gonna give two examples one i think it, i think the example that they were trying to go for is like he's too like invested in saving his daughter for even like a lobotomy to work now we don't, I don't know, think it worked that way. But it, it, we don't know it's a lobotomy either. They could have just taken a tissue sample from his brain. With a with a drill. With a yeah. drill, yes. <laughs> I mean, you have to drill into someone's head regardless if you're like, doing brain surgery. But they, so the problem with this is that they established that there is no virus before they do these things to him. So I think that that's why the lobotomy makes more sense. Because it's like, okay, well, we tell him that there's no virus... And then we lobotomize him so he can't tell anybody about it. 
I don't know. But it's I, weird though, because because does he start to uncover that there's no virus on on their own, or do they just give this man information that then will have to lead to them killing him? Well, yeah, I mean, or lobotomizing yeah. him. Excuse me, like because exactly, they didn't realize yeah. that he spoke a little bit of English. And that's, ah, okay, that's, okay, okay. That that's sense. the thing. He like, picks telling, up on the conversation. Yes, he picks it up through ah, eavesdropping because he's turning and talking to the interpreter. He's telling the interpreter. I'm going to tell you something that not many people know, not even the highest up people, that there is no virus. And then that, you know, Gangdu leans over and he goes, like he says in very broken English, like, no virus. There's no that's virus. A, that's a fair point. And so, I still think it's a mess, but that's a fair point. And so it's like assuming that he's stupid. That's and so that's the thing is they've assumed to that point that this guy's an idiot. He's a, he's a, he's a moronic child. And instead, he speaks a second language. But they didn't set it up, and so it has no emotional or structural impact on the story. Yeah, and that was rather we, weak. Yeah. And this is where we get to... And this is why the movie breaks down at this point. And then we lead into probably the kookiest final fight of almost any movie I've seen other than Riccio. Yeah, I mean, the ending is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's like, it's dumb, and ridiculous and like very Hollywood in in a sense, yeah. but it's like I don't know. It's fun. It's fun that's monster where, movie stuff. That's where he almost was like, you know what? Fuck all this other shit that I'm trying to say. Let's just. He's like, I was. It, it is a fun monster movie from the get go. Let's just finish with that. Like, let's just finish with having fun. You yeah, know? it's like it's like Ryan Johnson came in and just like did the last like five minutes of the movie and just was like, yeah, all that narrative and shit you're trying to set up. Fuck that. And yeah. like and then just like they had a monster fight and they're releasing chemicals on the public and people are bleeding out of their eyes and their ears. As a closing statement on the film, for me at least, as like an overall broad thematic look, I think it's cool to look at the idea of, you know, the formaldehyde in the river, years of US European um we don't have to call it aggression. This isn't like a political podcast, you know, whatever you want to call it, their presence um, kind of stifled the development of some of these countries, right? If we're going to make stretch that argument and this idea that the main character eats these preservative, like very high preservative synthetic foods, you know, um, this idea that like, he, he himself is also arrested. And so when this monster comes out, the entire reaction from everyone is so muddled and so strange almost because there are no heroes in monster movies in Korea in the same way that there are in the West. And it shows that with like this this decisive action from the the American, uh, that guy who, who like is in the south korea with his girlfriend at the time yeah. right it's like this idea that like westerns western molded identities make these very quick and very like fast decisions um and react to things in a certain way and the way that it plays upon the u.s asian relations which you talked about earlier i think is like probably the coolest message of the movie other than it being a fun monster movie i think i agree with jesse that everything else falls kind of kind of short um one thing i wanted to ask you guys 
I didn't know if this would be like a cool exercise or not, but based on like the rating on like Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, do you guys think that you would put the movie at where it's rated or above or below it? Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I I looked, I scanned the reviews and it would have been below the lowest one. Oh, okay. Um, But I still think like, I think you'll have a good time watching it. I think the vast majority of people are not going to like, break it apart the way that I did. Um, and I think that's the right way to approach it. If you just approach it as like a fun action movie with good scenes and nice character moments, then you're going to have a good time. It's it's well made in that respect. It's well made in like in the in the small ways. It's just trying to glue all those together didn't quite fit. It became clunky. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I would probably rate it uh, a little lower. I definitely rate it lower than what it was given uh, from a personal standpoint. I definitely think it's it's bloated. I definitely think it's got structural issues. It's got leaps of logic and very poor uh, expository dialogue. But on a whole, I'd still recommend it to somebody if they want just something fun to watch. That's not in the normal wheelhouse of monster movies like i will yeah and it's it's yeah. smarter than like godzilla versus kong or something sure. yeah you know it's yeah. infinitely smarter than that nonsense so but in those attempts to be smarter you you play a dangerous game sometimes right well, i think you do i think you're kind of just touching on the fact that this is bong Joon's kind of like feeling out his format he's really kind of playing around with these themes and these styles that then will translate that's what I was getting to. Well yeah, with yeah. Parasite, which the uh, cool thing about this movie is you see a growing, you see the, you see a growing director, right? And in, it's like an infantile, not infantile. That's almost too harsh of a word, but it's, it's cool to see the trajectory of a director. And not every single one is going to hit, you know, the very first time. And seeing the guy, the way that this guy has started to make films is like. When you go back to this movie, it's cool to see the little, you know, precursors of like, oh, I see where you were trying to do this before. Yeah, yeah social commentary, character interactions, and so forth. Well, I think there's a, I, and just to wrap it up, um, I think there's a little, there was a little hesitation on his part to go too far into social commentary and still make it a fun monster movie. I think it was just a hard medium for him to play with, with doing something he feels is his wheelhouse of style, but at the same time trying to create a message in a story. Whereas in, in Parasite, which we'll talk about, you'll see you see that as the main focus point is let me talk to you about something that is wrong in South Korea. And yeah. I think that that's definitely a really inspiring thing to see and why he's been able to have so much commercial success is that he's been given the ability to make something fun and cool to watch and interesting and entertaining and still play out his style in his own way because they're they're two different movies stylistically but very much sharing the same types of themes if that makes any yeah. sense <clears throat> growing see him grow into a phenomenal director just like Roland Emmerich. Yep. <laughs> oh um, and on that note, are we done? Uh, I think we're done talking about those. Yeah, yeah. We've definitely spent yeah. a good amount of time. We spent almost the runtime of the movie talking about the movie. So. Has it been? Is it almost two hours now? No, we're at one fifteen. But it's it's 115? definitely yeah, it's definitely okay. uh, 
a good amount of time. We'll, we'll, so um, we'll take a we'll quick wrap break. up. Yeah, we'll wrap up this episode um, in a minute here, and the next episode, which we're just going to take a break and then jump into Parasite. But um, as just a little, as a little like ending thing, is there anything you guys watched this week that you found interesting? Maybe you'd recommend to people, or something to stay away from. Just anything you want to talk about? You know. No, I mean, like I said before, I've been rewatching Dragon Ball Z again, and that show is ah. an absolute clown fiesta, but super <laughs> just, it's got a lot of nostalgia, and it's fun to watch an old, of course. it's fun yeah. to watch a, uh, to see a hand-drawn anime again, it's just something you don't see much anymore, so that's pretty much been my, uh, my digestion of, of material over this past week. Alex, do you have anything? I do, um... You know, I want to save my recommendation, I think, for the end of the next This is episode. the end of oh, the next one? Okay. Yeah. The next episode. But I will sure. give something to please avoid. Yes, um, please. And it is... It is a... The name is escaping me right now because it's just such a terrible film. Um, it's one of the... It's a Netflix film that came out recently, um, which... Obviously, if people are listening and they're fans of movies, you know that there's a trend of, you know, these streaming services building their own studios. They have lots of capital. They can get big names. They can get even directors, good cinematography. But my God, do they, they just skimp on the writing, it mm, seems, yeah. on, on a lot of the films. Some are good. Shadow and Bone? I, no. This is... Um, well, maybe you, if you remember the Yeah, name, you can tell us next time. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now I'm interested. Uh, All right, well. I, I would really recommend the Philadelphia story. I care a lot. Okay, I've heard of that. Um, Avoid it. Avoid it. Okay, Avoid it. You've, you've heard it from Alex, folks. Avoid <laughs> I care a lot. Uh, do not, do not let, allow yourself to care about this movie. Um, oh. I personally would recommend the Philadelphia story from 1940 i've been watching a lot of old movies it's um from george kukor and it's got Cary grant katherine hepburn jimmy stewart good old jimmy stewart <laughs> and uh it's just hilarious the the dialogue is snappy and wonderful it's like pretty light and breezy it's kind of just about like it's basically a romantic comedy but in an era where romantic comedies weren't the bottom of the barrel um, and you had like really high class people doing them. You said 1940? And, uh, 1940. Oh, wow. So, like, peak Stewart. Peak Stewart. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's great. So, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We'll end this episode here. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, it was fun talking about the host. Yeah, it awesome. Was. Thanks, everyone. Uh, Thank you. Cool. See you soon. We'll see you in the next one. All right. Later.